So last week, we looked at the first 25 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in which Paul corrects and instructs the church in Corinth to pursue the way of love above all things, and along the way of love to participate in the grace gifts of the Spirit in a way that builds up all who are in the church. And specifically, addressing the gathered worship of the church, Paul requires their worship to be intelligible, edifying, and loving. And now he adds one more requirement, that their worship be orderly. The worship in all the churches is to be done decently and in order, Paul says. Let's read in beginning in verse 26 to the end of the chapter. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the Word of God. If you want to follow along in the sermon outline, you'll see this sermon theme. Decent and orderly worship is required in the church. The way we worship reflects the character of the God we worship. We worship the God of peace. So after telling the Corinthians that the way to know that God is really among you is to speak the word intelligibly, so that the word edifies each believer, and so that the whole church is being built up, Paul then turns the camera on them and says, What? Look at yourselves when you gather for worship. As you walk into church, each one of you brings your own hymn, your own lesson, your own revelation, and your own tongue. And every one of you goes at everything all at the same time. That's what Corinthian worship looks like. Now, some people today read what the Corinthians were doing in worship and say, Oh, look, how spontaneous, how exciting, how spirit-filled their worship was. As if the Corinthian church is a model 
for all of the other churches to follow. No. Paul is clear, and he tells them that they're the one church that all the other churches are not supposed to follow. In fact, it's, it's them who are to come in line with all of the other churches. In chapters 11 to 14, Paul is building a cumulative criticism of how the Corinthians, we would say, do church. And he's been building a cumulative correction as to how they should do church. In their gathered worship, all is to be done in love. But they are not patient and kind to one another. Instead, they're boastful, arrogant, and rude. All is to be done intelligibly. But they're doing all things at once so that nothing's understood. All that the individual members do is to be done for the building up of the other members, the whole church. But instead, each is seeking their own in worship, rather than seeking the good of their brothers and sisters. All of these things may be allowable in worship, and all of the believers are certainly to participate in worship, but all doing everything at the same time was not helpful. All doing everything at the same time did not build up, and was not to the glory of God, when they're supposed to do everything to the glory of God. So Paul is going to instruct some of them to be silent in worship. Paul repeats his correction and instructions from the first half of chapter 14 by requiring that all things in worship gatherings be done for the building up of the church. Because the purpose of the grace gifts, which are manifestations of the Holy Spirit in individual members for the common good, the purpose is to build up the whole body. And Paul builds on top of that with the requirement that all things that are, be to done, are to be done orderly. Because the way we worship reflects the character of the God we worship. And our God is a God of order. He is the God who brings peace out of chaos. So our worship of Him should be structured and orderly and reflect Him and His peace. The Corinthians' worship was disorderly. They were spiritually gifted, but they were disastrously wrong in how they practiced their spiritual gifts in worship. If your worship is disorderly, individual, unintelligible, and mindless, it means that you think God is disorderly and the God of chaos and confusion, instead of the God of peace. If your worship is unloving, unedifying, and profits nobody anything, that also tells people what your God's like. The way we worship reflects what we believe about God and His character. The result of studying 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is not to look more like the church in Corinth, but to look like all the other churches of the saints, which happens by following the apostles' words of correction and instruction. Paul is addressing speech in the worship gathering. And it's to be controlled speech. Think of Proverbs 17, verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. The Corinthians boasted of their knowledge, but if they were so gifted in knowledge, why didn't they know when to shut up? 
Paul is going to tell them three times to be silent. To bring order to the worship service, Paul is going to point out three specific circumstances when it's appropriate for people to refrain from speaking, to keep silent. When participating in the grace gift of tongues, speaking in human languages, there is a certain circumstance when people should be silent. When participating in the grace gift of prophecy, speaking divine revelation, there is a certain circumstance when people should be quiet. And when participating in judging or weighing prophecy in the gathered congregation, the women are to be silent. So three particular instances in the gathered worship when grace gifts are being spoken in which certain people are to remain silent. That's the structure of this passage, beginning with tongues. Look at verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Paul puts a limit on tongues. Did you notice? He puts an upper limit, a ceiling, three at most, and one at a time. That's orderly. And again, Paul emphasizes that there, if, is, if there's no one present who understands the language spoken, then it's not to be spoken. Whether a man or a woman, the tongue speaker is to keep silent. Again, Paul says, if you just, if you just have to speak, go speak to yourself where no one else can hear you. Tongues is a speaking gift. Speaking means out loud. It's not a thinking gift or a praying silently gift because the mind is unfruitful in the gift of tongues. Remember, he just went over that. You don't know what you're thinking or praying. Paul says only God knows what language you're speaking. Like, remember, a language like French or German. Tongues in the Bible is not an ecstatic utterance as some today claim it to be. Nor is the speaker in some way possessed. Paul says the speaker has complete control over speaking or remaining silent. If one is possessed, it's not by the Holy Spirit. And if one can't restrain themselves, it's not because of the Holy Spirit. It's because of their own selfishness, pride, arrogance, and desire to be on display. That's... That's the real problem in Corinth being revealed in the church. So if there is no hearer of that foreign language present, both men and women are to remain silent. Why? Because their silence is more edifying than their speaking. Because it's orderly. Pick up in verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the other prophets weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Because prophecy builds up, Paul's more positive towards the gift of prophecy, and he lets there be two or three. In fact, he later says that all who have a prophecy will get their turn but one at a time. Because orderly speaking promotes edification. 
Paul wants all to learn and be encouraged by God's revealed word. Which at that time was revealed by the apostles and the New Testament prophets. Now, there are different understandings of the prophets in the New Testament. As I said at the beginning of this section, it's been a few weeks, I believe that this gift of prophecy is speaking divine revelation from God to men and women at that time. It's the same as Old Testament prophecy. It's interesting that if one is speaking a prophecy while another receives a prophecy during the worship service, the first is to yield and allow the other to speak. Perhaps, perhaps revelation during the church gathering may, may be directly relevant to that moment. And so they, they stop, let that person speak. Paul gives them priority in line. The spirits of the prophets, he says, is subject to the prophets. That means that a prophet is in control of his or her speech. Some had received a revelation and waited to speak until they got to that worship gathering. And the one that was interrupted and had to stop talking, he, he gets his turn back. He could come back and finish later because all would be heard in turn. So that all would hear and all would learn and all would be encouraged. And the church would be built up by the word of God in an orderly fashion. Then, after a prophet had spoken, the others would weigh what he had said. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into, out into the world. So it's a very serious thing to, to weigh whether this is a true prophet or a true prophecy. Or a false prophet with a false prophecy. And how do you test the prophets anyway? Whether in the, in the New Testament or the Old Testament, how do you do that? Well, by whether their words are in keeping with the Old Testament Scripture, the words of Jesus Christ, and the apostolic teaching. Their words must accord with those things and not contradict those things. Now, there are, there are different understandings of who these others are who are to weigh and evaluate prophecy. It may mean the other prophets. But I don't see any reason to limit it to the other prophets. They could be those in chapter 12, verse 10, whom Paul says have the grace gift to distinguish between spirits. Although their presence is not required for prophecy to take place. So I don't think I would limit it to them. They may be others in the congregation. I mean, in the end, everyone in the congregation is to be a good Berean and test everything that they hear with the truth of Scripture. Old Testament, Jesus' words, apostles' teaching. But everybody in the congregation seems overly broad when order is what Paul's getting after. Given the structure of the church also, and the place of authority in the church, resting with the elders. It also may seem overly broad or, or unworkable in the context of a worship service, which is the specific context here. If we gathered 50 Baptists to give us their opinion on one thing, we might get 150 opinions. It's just how it works when you have a big group, right? They're all reasonable guesses. Maybe it's a combination of them. 
But Paul certainly has in mind the structure and the order of the church and the church's stewardship of God's word and the decency and order of the worship service. Isn't it interesting that when we get to chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, that everybody wants to know about the gifts? Finally, we're going to... We're going to open up those gifts. We're finally going to learn about those gifts. Everybody's excited about the gift of tongues. How does it work? Can we do it? Everybody's impressed with the gift of prophecy and how it works. Can we do that? But nobody comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 excited about orderliness. Which is Paul's point. Isn't that interesting? Nobody says, boy, I want to be orderly. Oh, I I want us to worship this morning in such an orderly fashion. And I want my church to be known in this city as a really orderly church. And it's orderly worship that Paul is concerned about in the Corinthian church. It's the point. Look at the word he uses in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. We would expect him to say orderliness. God's not a God of confusion, but of order. But he says, he says peace. God is a God of peace. What do we do in worship? Or what we do in worship is a, is a reflection of the God we worship. And if our gatherings are disorderly, chaotic, unintelligible, fail to build up, not encouraging, self-centered, and unloving, then that is what they reflect about God. But God is not a God of disorder, not a God of confusion, not a God of chaos. He's a God of peace. You know, James says in James chapter 3, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. God is a God of peaceable worship. God is a God of peace. God is a God of shalom. Shalom. When Paul contrasts chaos with peace, he's not saying that instead of hectic, and allowed worship services, you should have a quiet and relaxing experience. He's saying that the God you worship is the God who brings peace out of chaos. It's the character of God. In the beginning, God brought peace out of chaos in creation. In Noah's day, God brought peace out of chaos at the flood, a renewed creation. Since the fall, God has been bringing peace to his people through the word of his covenant. 
God sent his son Jesus to rescue his people, lost in their chaos of their sin, and to redeem them so that they would have peace with God. And all who believe his word have become his workmanship, new creations. God provided apostles and prophets at that time to establish his church, an outpost of peace in a world of sin and darkness. Even now, God is building his church, increasing his kingdom, soul by soul, through the gospel preaching ministry of his church, to populate his new creation when Christ returns. Peace, shalom, order, completeness, that's our God. And that should characterize our worship. We worship the God of peace because we are his peaceable people. And our worship is to reflect his character. So when the Corinthians use their gifts, or let me say this, the way the Corinthians use their gifts reflects a God of chaos, reflects a God of disorder and indecency. Then Paul tells them, some of the people need to be silent for the purpose of orderliness. That's where we're at. So, one, in certain circumstances there is when there is no one to hear the language they speak, Paul tells both men and women who speak in tongues to keep silent. And in certain circumstances, when it's time for another prophet to take their turn, Paul tells both men and women who prophesy to be silent. And in certain circumstances, when the church weighs the truth of prophecy for the purpose of decency and order, Paul tells the women in the church to keep silent. Look at verse 33. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, reading that, you can understand why we might be a little alarmed. Because we have lots of women doing lots of speaking in our church. And that's fine. Here's why. Hopefully, our minds are already pulling together a few loose strings from 1 Corinthians chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14. Hopefully, we're already gathering some of those thoughts. First of all, that Paul is addressing women whose speech is somehow disorderly. Because that's what he's addressing in all of these verses. Disorderliness. And disorderliness in the worship gathering. That's the context. And that it is connected somehow to prophecy and weighing of prophecy, which is what he was just talking about. Beyond that, that it's linked to the disorder created by women praying and prophesying in chapter 11. Wait a minute. We've been here before, back in chapter 11. These four chapters on orderly worship begin at the beginning of chapter 11, and end at the end of chapter 14 with corrections about women and prophecy. Because they form sort of bookends, we know that we need to look at them together. We need to pull those together. So Paul says here that when the church weighs or evaluates or judges prophecy, that women are to be silent and in submission according to the law. What law? Well, Paul's, Paul's reaching back just a few chapters to his reference to the law in chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. 
from Genesis, which is a book of the law. Paul says, for a man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is how Paul grounded the issues of male headship in the home and in the church back in chapter 11. Now remember that some women were praying and prophesying in the worship service. That was not the problem. But it seems that some of the women with the gift of prophecy were going a step further. They were weighing, explaining, teaching their revelation to the congregation. They were going a step too far and asserting themselves into the authoritating teaching ministry of the church. Remember, Paul says, the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The behavior of some wives and some women in their church gathering was indecent with respect to their husbands and disorderly with respect to the congregation. That pairs with the rest of the story here in chapter 14, where husbands and authority and headship are still at issue in the weighing of prophecy. The word translated ask is a very strong word. We would better understand it as interrogate. Paul tells women to wait till they get home to interrogate their husbands about their husband's prophecy. Because in the presence of weighing prophecy, the prophet himself was judged to be true or false. And so they were not only judging the message, but the men. So some women were openly criticizing their husbands in the public gathering. They're, they're throwing off the head covering. They're throwing off the headship of their husbands. They're flipping the pattern of headship. It was more of the same indecency back in chapter 11. Mm, that kind of that kind of gossipy talk going on just fostered scandal rather than edification there in the middle of the worship service. But it did not regard proper headship in the church. The words Paul uses here are parallel to the words he uses in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. When ordering the church there, Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. See, we already know that. We already know and agree with this parallel wording that's also rooted in Genesis. That is the structure of leadership and authority in the church. And both of these passages say that women are to learn and to be appropriately submissive. That's headship. The prohibition not to teach authoritatively parallels the prohibition not weighing prophecy. So this is not a blanket, absolute prohibition of women speaking in the church, as some have wrongly accused. It is something about authority and headship in the church that is orderly, and that all the churches already agree with and practice. You know, silence does not characterize the church's worship gathering. These are just exceptions. There's a lot of speaking in the worship gathering by both men and women, praying and singing. And at that time, men and women participating in the great gifts of speaking in tongues and speaking in prophecy. 
But it was to be controlled speech, not chaotic and confusing speech. And all of that was before the New Testament candor of Scripture was complete as it now is. So Paul pointed out these three situations regarding the gifts when it was more edifying and more orderly for some to remain silent. The words spoken and sung and prayed in the worship gathering are to be intelligible, upbuilding, and orderly, so that our worship reflects the God we worship, the God of peace and order. Now Paul brings these four chapters of instruction for the worship gathering to a close with, with a firm stamp of his apostolic authority. Pick up in verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. The Corinthian church is disorderly in two ways. They're worshiping outside of God's creation order and outside of God's order for the church. So he reminds them that they did not bring the gospel to Paul, but rather Paul brought the gospel to Corinth. Over and over, the Corinthians have behaved more like their pagan culture than like the church. Only being chaos and confusion and division. And we see that same thing in our culture today. And we see that same problem when churches bring culture into the church. You see, we worship the God who brings order to chaos through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're, if you're still struggling with loving or just getting to know God this morning, and you're a little confused about a sermon about the spiritual gifts in Corinth, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Our God is not a God who waits for you to do spectacular things before he will love you. No, he's the God who sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to rescue you while you're yet a sinner. God puts his love before your failed efforts to earn his love. So it is that we love because God first loved us. You need the Savior to rescue you from God's just wrath upon your sin against Him. So trust in Jesus' sin-atoning death on the cross, and you will have peace with God. Believe in Jesus' life-giving resurrection from the grave, and He will make you His new creation. That is the message of Christ crucified that Paul brought to Corinth. And our worship should reflect the God who brings peace to sinners. Paul says that if the church rejects his instructions, that the Lord will reject them. That's how seriously he corrects the disordered worship of the church in Corinth, especially in the way they misunderstood and malpracticed the gifts of the Spirit. They are not the model for church worship. Of all the churches, they're the ones whose worship gathering is indecent and disorderly. 
So Paul repeats his instructions to them. Desire prophecy because it builds up. Do not reject interpreted tongues when they're spoken. Both of these gifts were operative at that time. Foundational in the establishing of the church. But do all decently and in order. When the Spirit is truly present, order is present. When the God of peace is truly present, He's present with His new creation. And we live today in the light of the new creation that Christ is bringing at His return. The true place and time of shalom. That's what people are to see in how we worship and live for the one true living God. So let us do all things to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing us mercy through his sin-atoning work on the cross and his life-giving resurrection from the dead. Oh, how we rejoice in him. Oh, how we love Christ and love to love Christ. Help us to do that by loving one another, setting ourselves to the side, desiring what is good for the body. We need your help with that, and we know that it is the Spirit of God who gives it. So build us up, we pray, in love. It's in Christ's name. Amen.